It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Today's podcast is brought to you by Neon and Hulu, presenting Palm Springs, winner of the Critics' Choice Award for Best Comedy Film. Starring Andy Samberg, Kristen Milioti, and J.K. Simmons, the New York Times calls Palm Springs one of the best films of 2020. Variety's Clayton Davis raves, Palm Springs is a brilliant love story that is both moving and unconventional. Palm Springs for your consideration in Best Picture and all other categories. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. That I might have heard about? Yeah. The second you fall asleep, it all just goes back to the start. I drove all the way back home to Austin, and I still woke up here. One time I smoked a bunch of crystal and made it all the way to Equatorial Guinea. It was a huge waste of time. Well, then what's the point of living? We kind of have no choice but to live. No, I'm going to get out of this. Suit yourself. Neon co-founder Tom Quinn is determined to break some barriers in this industry. I'm Clayton Davis. On this bonus edition of the Variety Award Circuit podcast, we talk to Quinn about the Oscars, his contenders, and what's next for Neon. A chat with Neon's Tom Quinn on the eve of this year's Oscar nominations announcement coming up next on the Variety Award Circuit podcast. Stay close. I first met Tom Quinn, the film distributor Neon's co-founder, at a party at the Telluride Film Festival in August 2019. With his film talent in attendance, including Parasite director Bong Joon-ho, a 10-minute side conversation with the CEO has always remained prevalent in my mind. At the time, I conveyed to him my thoughts that Bong Joon-ho's film from South Korea had a real shot at winning Best Picture at the Oscars later that year. Without skipping a beat, Quinn almost ignored the comment, telling me that what he really wanted was the first documentary to be nominated for Best Picture. In this extended eligibility year, Neon had a robust powerhouse of nonfiction films in its arsenal. When the Oscars announced its shortlist for documentary feature, three of its movies had been listed for the next round of consideration, Gunda, Naturno, and The Painter and the Thief, which has just been nominated for a WGA award. I recently spoke to Quinn about his take on the Oscars, the shortlist process, and the overall conversation for Neon films this year, including... Palm Springs from first-time director Max Barbacow. Thank you for taking this time with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Um, we're having this interview for two reasons. Reason number one, you and I met at Telluride in 2019. I could have said 1999. It would have felt the same because everything feels like a long time ago. <laughs> so you and I met at Telluride. We were in a room, and Parasite had just... Uh, had just had a screening there and obviously blew up. And I told you in that meeting, and I don't think I was the first one to tell you, even though I want to take credit and say I was the first, but I don't think I was. And I said, hey, think you might make some history this year. You might be the first uh, studio to 
have a foreign language best picture winner. And your response to me was, oh, that's cool. You know what I really want? And I said, what? And I was like, you know, what else could he possibly want besides that? And you said, I want the first documentary in best picture. And since then, you've been on my mind because (laughs) I want that so bad for docs because they are films and you guys have made a very focused effort on making sure that people see them as wide as possible, but all different types of stories and treat them like you would treat an I, Tanya or a parasite. So that's big reason. Number one, I want to talk to you about that. Does that reason, does that dream still exist for you? Absolutely. I, it's, uh, you know, I, I would say what, what a fortuitous 2019 at Telluride <laughs> being there with both parasite and portrait portrait of a lady on fire. So, you know, that was very front of mind, but the, the, the thing that I've thought long and hard about is, uh, and, and it, it, it dates back probably, I think at least 15 years, you know, I, I've been a hardcore theatrical distributor for feature documentaries since I started in this business. And, you know, one of the most essential films that I worked on almost 20 years ago was uh, Sick, The Life and Death of Bob Flanagan by uh, Kirby Dick. And, and that film sort of opened up a world to me that, you know, seeing that at Sundance uh, with the subjects involved with that film there, it just blew my mind. And, I, and I've always thought of feature nonfiction as cinema. They're, they're, they're in some ways more gratifying, more amazing than a lot of the fiction films that we work on. And, and you know, the most immersive cinematic experience that I had in 2019, and it was, it was like cinematic crack, was Apollo 11. And I, I don't know if you got to experience it in IMAX. I had just never experienced any film like that. And, you know, the quality of the cinematography, the extraordinary editing, uh, just the technical expertise that went into restoring that film by, you know, the amazing Todd Miller and his team. I, I just thought, and I can't take credit for this. Someone said, I took my son to see it and it was like Star Wars. When I originally saw it as a kid, it was just as nostalgic, but this is real. And I thought, oh my God, this is a best picture. It's should be considered possibly as, for other categories, best editing, best cinematography. You know, even though Todd did not shoot that original cinematography, those astronauts know how to work a camera. And so I, it, it was it was a disappointing you know uh, result that we didn't get in through the doc branch, but no no discredit to them. I, I always find that the doc uh, the doc nominees and certainly the shortlist is the most inclusive, the most progressive, the most representative group of nominees any year. Uh, but the reality is is that was a beloved film, one of the best reviewed films of the year, and and I just. You know, I, I felt Todd deserved as much credit as any other director did that year. And, and so why not Best Picture? I, well, I guess I guess plead your case to the because I, I sometimes you're sometimes I feel like I'm in a vacuum by myself. But a lot of times when I'm having this discussion with people and saying like, hey, a doc should be in the Best Picture conversation and people entertain it for like a week or so every award season. I've been doing this 15 years. And then they're like, all right, we can just like kind of move on from it. And, no, and they're like, I feel it feels like a place that they can, 
that like docs will get its due in the documentary feature category, but people are far more open to animated features getting in picture, which they should, by the way, you know, and now international feature, we finally broke that ceiling. You did broke that ceiling. 92 years of history. Uh, I mean, that is, you know, just think about that. 92 years of, of history inside of the Academy. Those old rules just don't apply anymore. Yeah. And, and by the way, I always like to add this. I, this is a dig to everyone out there. And this is just a good thing to you. You're a three-year-old studio at that moment. You're an in, you're, you're a toddler in the, in the, in the studio world. Cause people have been around for a hundred years and 75 years and, here come you, like, and they just swept you up. Because yeah. you, you challenge them. Well, I, you know, a lot of people were focused certainly on Bong and and Parasite as, as this extraordinary celebration of Korean cinema. And while it is, and it does represent 100 years of what is, for me, some of the most exciting cinema coming from around the world, you know, I said, well, why are we talking about him in this very sort of, you know, we've got these blinders on, you know, we didn't talk about Guillermo that way. We don't talk about Steven Spielberg that way. And and honestly, ever since I saw the host in Cannes, uh, his third film, he's been the best director I know in the world. And and so immediately myself and Christina Zisa, our head of PR, uh, we were like, this is one of the best films in the world. Therefore, we need to be thinking much bigger. And, and so, you know, a small little kernel grew into an incredible opportunity. And, you know, Bong Joon-ho was the light of my life still is. I'm, I, 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 I watch those acceptance speeches of his all the time now just to, you know, pump me up on a bad day in quarantine. Yeah. Uh, February 9th is like Parasite Day. It was all over the internet. A nice, friendly reminder. You know, I, I, I watch Oscar clips often. You know, Spike Lee saying, you know, <laughs> Bong Joon-ho, you know, and just everyone. And it, it's just that feeling. But coming to the documentary side, what is the, I guess, I don't know, the bridge that we can provide members to walk across to say, this is this is picture. This isn't just isolate like this is this is a motion picture and it is cinema how how can you do that or what's your strategy to do that? well the thing is you know qualifying docs is, is one kind of film is a mistake they're all different you know they're they're the subcategories and they're the character driven docs like painter and the thief there are these incredibly cinematic immersive documentaries like gunda uh that that you know i, I think really break the boundaries of what cinema is uh and so to be only kind of categorized as nonfiction, I think is a mistake. Uh, and Noturno is, is, you know, also exceptional cinema, could be conceived as an issue-driven film. I mean, so they all sort of have these subcategories. And, and, and unfortunately, I think even the doc branch themselves kind of dismiss their own sway over the entire academy. And, you know, I what's the very trite stereotypical uh, academy campaign every year we see it right and and how do you how do you improve on the what movie do we need now more than ever the movie we need now uh, the only movie we need and it's you know you see it every year and three four studios use it and they try to embrace it in different ways and if if that is the core of any academy campaign you know in the second or third phase of of soliciting voters well i i have to admit that for me the most essential 
absolutely impactful film of the year, uh, you know, and it's going to sound like I'm shilling, but I'm not, is totally under control by Alex, uh, Suzanne and Ophelia, the, the trio who put together this movie in quarantine, one of the first movies that, that, that actually went into production. Uh, they came up a way of, with a technical way of socially distancing, making that film, uh, but about the pandemic, which we are currently still living in, uh, COVID-19 and, and this administration's failed response to it. And to decide to do that in March, to have it ready for, for release in September uh, and ultimately launching it in, in October, just prior to the election, you know, that, that movie sort of dominated my life this year in, in a way that uh, it was personal. And uh, to have an actual effect inside of this election cycle, um, you know, which was not the intent of the film, but it ultimately was because of the rampant corruption inside of this, uh, this previous administration. And so, you know, for me, that film is, is, is uh, 2020 does not exist for me cinematically without the impact of totally under control. And so for those reasons, I think it should be considered as a best picture nominee. Um, you know, switching gears a bit, I will say, stepping outside of the doc category, but talking about this year specifically, you know, the other essential film for me this year, it's going to be a bit of a surprise, but the film that's kind of gotten me through this pandemic, that's reminded me that everything's going to be okay, uh, that there is something worth holding on to that can get us through it, which is love, uh, is the funniest fucking film of the year, and it's Palm Springs. And I actually went to a legitimate premiere inside of the pandemic at the Tiki Drive-In. It's probably my favorite night that I've had this year uh, at a theater, but a drive-in. And man, find your Irvine. You know, that moment in the movie where they talk about, you know, just accept your fate. There's still things to do. There's ways to be content. And if you do it with your loved ones and you accept this, you can move on. And, and I think about that film all the time. And so, you know, I'll give the Globes a little bit of credit. I love the fact that they take comedy seriously, but you know what, it's time for the Academy to take comedy seriously, you know, in the same way they took Get Out seriously. Finally, a horror film shows up in best picture, best director, best screenplay, best actor. You know, I would, I would ascribe all those same things to Palm Springs. Um, so, you know, Two films, very different. Uh, one is hilarious as hell, but soothing and, and sort of gives me this spiritual path forward. And, and Totally Under Control was this incredible tool to fight with and, and to stick up and, and try to protect ourselves in this really, really difficult time. Uh, so I, I urge folks to take a second look at both of these movies. Yeah, and the, I mean, one of the, reasons I reach out to you besides having this conversation is because both those films exactly that like you just brought up totally under control pop springs. I'm sure you know, this is are in my top 10 best films of the year. <laughs> I loved both of them. And my, one of my first things I wrote about here at variety was it's time to take comedy seriously. Yes. And, and, and look, oh, at I, that. I may have lifted that line from you. Uh, no, but, I, I, I'm okay. I'm going to take it, take it because People need to start. If you if you love cinema, you love all cinema, not just a particular type of cinema. To go back for a second to the documentary, 
and I think I, I've started talking about this, and I think you would be the first if you're willing to be on record saying it. With 238 films submitted for documentary feature this year, an ungodly amount, and I'm I'm glad we have that many. If the Academy is having this hard time taking it into picture, is it time for them to expand the category nominees from five to ten? You know, it's it's funny looking at these short lists. I do think they really help fine tune the process into nomination. And, and it's a wonderful honor to be highlighted in that way. Uh, I agree that there probably is room for more nominees, but I, what I would say is the number of accredited films participating on the nonfiction side, I would say it, it's too large and, and, and the qualification guidelines for, for, for what the Academy signed off on this year for nonfiction features, I think it's a little too broad and it should be fine tuned a little bit. Oh, okay. So you're okay. Uh, expanded, but also fine tuning the process that cause, cause I guess your thought is some of these 238 shouldn't have been considered. It, it, it's an arduous process to go through screening all these films. Right. And, and you want everyone to participate as fully as possible. So I think limiting the number of films that ultimately qualify but expanding the nominated category, I'm into that, definitely. And, and I could easily, you know, it's a tough, tough competitive year. Uh, super exciting. Multiple films nominated, you know, uh, on the short list that are 100% Rotten Tomatoes rating. So it's it's tough year. And, and I could easily pick eight right now that I should definitively be nominees and, and possibly would and even winners in other years. Awesome. Um, and by the way, you know, there's a reason probably why the, the Globes don't do a nonfiction category. Because they don't, because yeah. <laughs> they're like, we, we don't want to screen 230 films. Yeah. yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. And they don't let it in any category, which is another problem in its own. That's right. Um, and uh, looking at the future of Neon, and I think I told uh, your head of PR this already. Headline of this article already that I have for this exactly is Neon's relentless pursuit on getting the documentary in Best Picture. Like <laughs> that, that, that it is because because I I feel in my bones I'm going to see it happen within my first few years here. I think you guys could be the one to do it because of your uh, you know your your passion for for nonfiction. Um, as you look forward, do you see that? happening for you do you really i mean i know you want it but do you see the academy embracing it that idea absolutely uh it's and and, it, and it's born out of you know the company's mission and passion and commitment to cinema from all over the world we're, we're genre agnostic size language uh it's all the same to us and that's why our slate is so eclectic uh and just like the partners that we work with hulu you know they all view them the same as well. They all value them the same as, and, and, and that's, that's a rarity. So to have partners who believe the same as we do, which is why I think we want to crack the Academy in the same way, because it really elevates and profiles cinema that deserves to be seen around the world and, and championed. And so, you know, most people talk about Parasite last year, but Honeyland was, was a unique record setting film that, this year, that trend has just exploded. So if it happened once, the possibility of, of, of Academy voters seeing that Honeyland can not only be an international film, but also a documentary 
you know, and to see these other films expand beyond their core categories yeah. uh, in the foreign language and, and nonfiction. So I think that's only going to continue. Uh, so definitively, yes, we'd love to obviously be a part of any film that could continue uh, breaking these barriers and be a best picture nominee. But uh, the reality is someone's going to do it and that's exciting. And that's all boats rise in that, in, in that opportunity. Uh, I, what I would say, uh, maybe extending it one step farther. Uh, you know, we bought a film at Sundance and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I will say that some of the early discussions about Flea, a documentary that's animated, that's in a foreign language. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be above predicting that it's possible to even extend beyond another category. So Would you say then you could be, I mean, because you're such a trendsetter already, you could see maybe Flea being a nominee for picture, animated feature, documentary and international feature like that never it's happened possible. before too but i i want to lay down the gauntlet too that that the craftsmanship that happens inside of you know all films and documentaries being no different directors editors uh you know we've seen song nominations but i i, I believe that you know maybe best picture cracks open some of the other specific categories uh but you know, if, if anybody's doing their work and, and believes in what they're doing as, as a distributor producer, we should pursue all these categories. They, they deserve it. I love it. Last question for you, sir. You guys have a really good uh, partnership with Hulu. That's a lot. Of, that's how we were able to see Palm Springs. Thank God. Um, God bless Hulu. Cause I, I could, I, I would have been a bad year. If Palm Springs couldn't have uh, opened up, but, but um, is is the sort of bright spot? You know, yeah. there, there are a lot of serious, tough movies, and we've done a lot of them, and we're going to continue doing them. But you know what? It's really nice to have a movie that you can literally check out with. But yeah. inside of that laughter, there's a bitter truth that you know this is exactly what we're living through. And I, I love the fact that you know working with them, a pretty expanded drive-in footprint inside of the pandemic uh, in terms of its theatrical launch, but being the number one film on the Hulu service launch ever. Mm -hmm. I, it's, I mean, that's saying something. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, and I know it, so I'm, just, I'm giving you the opportunity to say it, the importance of the movie theater, the theater itself, oh. the theater experience. And listen, and it's been really easy years prior to this to vilify streamers and then this year everyone's like oh thank god we have them and you can't put the genie back in the bottle now uh in terms of our acceptance of what they can bring and you know your studio who's doing both can you talk about that partnership and how that can coexist in a flourishing manner for all cinema yeah i listen not every film's the same and and and, and therefore not every release strategy should be the same for that film you know not every film needs 90 days of theatrical only. Some films should require five months of theatrical, you know, a really long extended run. And, and you know, Parasite is a great example of that. Uh, so I, I'm not anti-streamer, you know, all of our films wind up on streaming. Uh, we just think that they're more valuable after having been treated and handled the way that we do. Our, our entire mission, Neon's, uh, belief is built around the power of cinema. Cinema for us starts in the theater. 
a collective body of strangers coming together to see a director's vision unedited, uninterrupted. And with that comes, I think, great power, uh, but you must deliver. It demands, I think, a lot of people to go to the theater. And that's why we try to only do the films that we think work in the theater. Um, you know, I, I would hate to have tried to launch Parasite this year. And if that's any great example of what the power of theater can do, you know, and I, I reference this film quite a bit, I don't think Moonlight would have been what it ultimately became if it, if it had launched purely as a streaming venture. So, that's a very good point. I think you're right. To, yeah, that's definitely incorrect. I, the excitement around the IFC Center in New York, launching Parasite, I don't know how you replicate that on any streaming service. Yeah. Uh, and to be there with strangers in line, you know, that sort of Sundance experience that we all talk about being on the bus in between screenings, you know, regular customers get to have that experience too. And it's exciting, but to then also the movie is so good that you literally turn to your left and talk to your stranger. I cannot believe what just happened that then fosters some conversation after the screening. I mean, that's what I really long for in all that we do. And the last piece is, I can't think of a better vacation than $10 and going to your local theater and being whisked away. You know, I don't feel that way at home. I'm tired of looking at my black box on my wall in my living room. Uh, please, I, I would literally go watch any movie in any theater right now uh, just to change up what the experience has been at home. And you, we'd all do it. We'd love it. Um, so, yeah, I, that's not going to change, even though the world may change. Hey, maybe even consumer habits change. I know that for our films and the audience that we cater to, that's the way that they're going to want to see it. Um, and so I don't think things ultimately change in the long run for us. That's awesome. Uh, Mal, I'll never forget that that when you talk about the theater, um, Parasite in particular, you'll, you can't replicate the sound in the theater when she kicks her down the stairs, like the, 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 the gasp in the theater and everyone just that, that collect, like, I all like, it's those moments. I was like, <gasps> and it's, 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 yeah, that's why theater is important. That's why you guys are awesome. And it's why I'm very proud to follow a company like neon now in their fourth year, your four year olds now pre-K is good. So you guys are going to do okay. Yeah. It's shocking. How, how many, uh, incredible films that we found have been a part of in such a short amount of time. We are, we couldn't be any luckier. Um, so, you know, I, I was joking with Bong, uh, you know, on the one year anniversary, I said, I, I still feel like I'm walking around the Soho house, you know, <laughs> wondering where everybody is. I, that it's almost as if maybe that's the last moment that we were all together. And if that's your last memory, it's not a bad one. That's Neon's co-founder, Tom Quinn. And that's it for this bonus edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to Award Circuit Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley, and Michael Schneider, I'm Clayton Davis. We'll see you on the circuit.
Today's podcast is brought to you by Neon and Hulu, presenting Palm Springs, winner of the Critics' Choice Award for Best Comedy Film. Starring Andy Samberg, Kristen Milioti, and J.K. Simmons, the New York Times calls Palm Springs one of the best films of 2020. Variety's Clayton Davis raves, Palm Springs is a brilliant love story that is both moving and unconventional. Palm Springs, for your consideration in Best Picture and all other categories. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 